Friends, thank you for tuning in to our next episode uh, of Expert Opinion and so grateful to have new friends, uh, Michael and Tom being with us here uh, to begin. And so they're from an organization called Someone to Tell It To. Um, so how about you just introduce yourself uh, to those of us who are, are tuning in and a little bit about your organization. I'm Michael Gingrich and I am uh, one half of the co-founders of Someone to Tell It To and the co-chief encouragement officer. We, we chose that title because uh, we, uh, part of our work, a huge part of our work, is encouraging people. Mm -hmm. and, and so we thought that that was an important uh, designation to have. We began someone to tell it to almost, by the time this airs, it'll be 10 years. Wow. Or, excuse me, nine years ago. Okay. Uh, we'll be starting our 10th year though. And uh, we, we have just really enjoyed this, this, this last near decade of, of working together, sharing together, and hoping ultimately to change the world together uh, for the better. And helping people, and our, our, our mission statement is to help people create meaningful relationships through compassionate listening, and we train others to do the same thing. That's awesome, thank you. Welcome, Michael. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, how about you? Will you introduce yourself, Tom? Sure, Kirsten? I'm Tom Caden. I'm the other half of <laughs> someone to tell to. And uh, Michael and I both are, are trained pastors. We've served in churches, but we said that, you know, nine or ten years ago, we just felt a special calling to connect with people outside the church. Uh, we have high hopes for the local church, and we both attend local churches and connect with local churches, but we also see value in working outside of a local church to hopefully broaden our horizons and our scope and our outreach. And so, um, you know, this has been such an enjoyable ride the last nine years. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, you were really helpful to just kind of send me some of kind of your, your work beforehand. And so as I was reading, you talked about a walk that was pretty influential in New Cumberland that kind of began all of this. Um, and you were both at unique spots in your life. Um, and so tell me a little bit more about the walk in particular and uh, where you at in your own life, which led you to such an important work of someone to tell it to. Yeah, well, New Cumberland's not far from here. <laughs> That's right. And um, I, at the time, had been living in New Cumberland and my family was in a period of immense transition and not probably a good transition at the time. I look back on it now and obviously you can see we would say God's fingerprints all over it, but it was painful. I, uh, unlike Michael, I didn't always have the greatest seminary experience. I went to seminary in Kentucky, and my dad's a past trained pastor, served in church, and even since I was a child, my I had a lot of people who would say, you know, have you ever thought about becoming a pastor? And just the traditional sense of being a pastor was never a good fit for me. So I went to Asbury Seminary in Kentucky and had an okay experience in the sense that I knew this was going to pave the way for something. I didn't know what, but even in those three or four years on campus in Kentucky, I just wrestled with my sense of call, not sure exactly what the future was going to hold. Um, and then I took a position right out of seminary as a youth minister, and it just didn't go well. It wasn't a good match for me. Uh, I had some leadership struggles with, with some of the more bureaucratic decisions in the church and, and staying true to my values as a, as a follower of Jesus. And so, I, you know, the good news in all of that, amidst all the pain and discomfort of that situation is I got to meet Michael, who had been serving at the church and became a, a mentor and a dear, dear friend. 
And then kind of fast forward a couple years, I also uh, took another position eventually as an associate pastor at another church and served there and had a really good uh, tenure in the church as Michael did in, in his time in the church. But we, we started just discerning and wrestling and, and kind of trying to, in, in many ways, ask each other the question, what do we want to do when we grow up? You know, and so <laughs> literally on, on one of these walks in New Cumberland, we just um, we started wrestling with those those questions and the, that sense of call. And I remember asking Michael, "What would it look like if we did something together?" And we can remember, we can literally point to the spot where we were on that walk, huh. where uh, when that question was asked. And that was a very vulnerable thing for Tom to do. And I was really uh, surprised, not that he was vulnerable, because he, he's always been a really <laughs> admirer, but that he wanted to do something with me. Huh. That was the surprise. And that, like, wow. And, um, and I, I immediately, I believe, I said, yes, yes, let's figure this out. Let's do something. Because we, we just held the same values. We had spent a lot of time talking and discerning, we've read together, prayed together, um, just shared life together in so many ways, and found that our value systems were, were entwined very, very closely. And we also felt, as, as kind of Tom said, that we, we weren't always able to live them out. It, it, sometimes systems and bureaucracies yeah. <laughs> inhibit um, how, to, how to really live out our, our call. And we decided, well, you know what? Let's try it. Let's, let's see what we can do together outside the bureaucracy to, again, change the world. That's beautiful. So you use this language around changing the world, and it kind of began on your walks and this journey that you two. I didn't know that you knew it, that you had a kind of this long kind of relationship for the two of you mm -hmm. over years and on, in this midst of your, in your journey. You felt this call to change the world. And you've begun to live that out in over the last nine years in what you call compassionate listening. And so tell me a little bit more, like, what, what does that mean, right? I get those two words, like, but, like, what the, what's the heart behind just kind of your, your work and what drives you in this season? We, our value system, with someone to tell it to, is that we believe that everyone has a voice. Mm. Everyone. Yeah. And that everyone needs and wants to be heard. We believe that most people are not heard, uh, that, that, we, that we, people are dismissed, they are judged as not good enough, they, you know, whatever it is, whatever, whatever labels we place on one another as human beings, often a lot of people get shut out and their, their voices aren't heard. And we wanted to start an organization where people were allowed to be heard, no matter who they were, no matter what they had to say, whether we agree or not. <laughs> and we, we think because that's where it starts for us to begin to have understanding and unity and respect for one another. And, and so that compassionate listening is about that. It's about recognizing everyone's value and worth and allowing them to express who they are and what they believe and you know just helping people to unburden themselves unload um, and to find meaningful relationships uh, in their lives as we have found in ours 
Anything you would add to that, Tom? Yeah, I, I, one of the things I did do when I was in seminary is I spent a great deal of time studying two, two Gospels, and I, I consider them both Gospels, is the first half of Luke's account, the Gospel of Luke, and then the Book of Acts, which he wrote parallel. And especially in the Book of Acts, I find it... Jesus, the whole Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus' earthly ministry, being moved by the Holy Spirit and him going out and unleashing his ministry into the world. The book of Acts is all about the early apostles, the followers of Jesus being unleashed to make a difference in the world and starting a movement. And so I spent a significant amount of time in seminary just studying the book of Acts. And I, I love early on, I've preached on this before, early on in the book of Acts, there's this incredible story of two followers of Jesus going into a temple because Jews, they would have a couple times throughout the day where they would go into the temple and just pray. And there's this crippled man on the side of the road and the followers actually stop to engage the man. And it says in, in the text that if you look in the, the original Greek text that they stopped and looked intently at the man. They truly saw the man for who he was, stopped and engaged the man. They worked outside the bureaucracy because the bureaucracy would have said, just go into the temple, it's your scheduled time of prayer. And they didn't do that and they engaged the man. And so we see this all throughout the book of Acts where they just start unleashing this, uh, this power of love and, and care for people and, and truly looking intently at them. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, that's kind of how we wanted to unleash our, our ministry into the world, uh, to start this movement of love, and just continue the movement. Not to start it from scratch, but just to continue what has been started thousands of years ago. And one of the very real reasons why we're doing this is because there's an epidemic of loneliness. Mm -hmm. That is to be proven statistically and culturally and socially that, that, that the, well, this is worldwide that there is a disconnection between people and, and an increasing amount of loneliness in the world. And, you know, our, our dream, our goal is to help, help alleviate that as much as we can. Wow. So let's talk about that a little bit. Like, um, so I don't even ask, so just a really, it probably seems so generic, but, but use this language of just like, uh, I've never shared this with anyone else before. And, so why, why do people, and so you talk about there's a sense of loneliness in the world, which I think, and we'll, we'll get to, because I think there's so many things that factor into that. And, but wh why do people need a safe spot to, to share and to be themselves? I was thinking, you know, in light of that question of the late Maya Angelou, yeah. somebody that we quote all the time in our books and our writing, our speaking. I remember one of her more famous statements was that there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story. And you think about somebody like her who has written memoirs and talked very openly and honestly about her own brokenness throughout her life, racism, sexual abuse, trauma of all shapes and sizes, and yet for her to, to make this pronouncement that there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story, there's something significant there. And we found in the last eight years that people are desperate to tell their stories. And, and so we can all, I mean, the, the, the name of our organization is Someone to Tell It To. And it comes from an Australian author who once said that someone to tell it to is one of the fundamental needs of human beings. Mm -hmm. 
And we say this in all of our writing and our speaking, we can all envision moments in our lives when we've needed someone to tell it to. And so it's very personal for us. Um, you know, as we, we said earlier, it, this mission was birthed out of our own, our own untold stories that needed to be told. And, and realizing that there's a world full of people who need to tell their stories. And we, we often will ask when we speak to our groups, uh, how many of you know what it feels like not to be heard? not to be listened to. It's amazing the number of hands who will go up and, and people who will nod and, and say, yeah, they, and they know what that's like. And, um, but if we also ask, you know, when's the time you've been heard well? A lot fewer hands ever go up. <laughs> there are people who, who, who rec there's a recognition that, that we're just, we just don't listen well to one another. And, um, you know, that's why we do what we do, because we're trying to change that, because we believe that where healing starts, where relationships really start, it's by listening. It's how our relationships started. Mm. It's how the relationships with our wives, we have with our wives has started, by, by really listening to one another and, and hopefully continuing to listen to one another. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's always the real challenge. <laughs> but, so, um, it's never perfect, yeah. absolutely never perfect. And even we as, we as quote unquote professional listeners, we don't always get it perfect, mm -hmm. even between us. So there are times that, that, that we might not understand, you know, not have heard something correctly or, or understood what's, what one another has said. It's always, it's, it's hard work. It's not, it's not necessarily easy, but, but it's necessarily necessary. <laughs> it, it really is. I'll add to one of the things that we talk openly and honestly about is our, is our work. There's kind of two tracks to our work. There's like the direct service listening that we do for groups, organizations, individuals. And then there's the actual training component. And that's where we're expanding the mo movement. We say, think we're expanding the movement in both tracks, but especially so in the training piece as we get into organizations and churches and equipping lay people to just be better listeners and more compassionate and empathetic in their everyday lives. But we, we made a commitment early on, um, you know, we were, we're a nonprofit and, and we wanted to make this commitment that we were never going to turn anybody away based on their inability to pay. Because we think there's a whole lot of people that don't receive the kind of care that they need because of maybe uh, insurance reasons. You know, they can't afford a copay, so they don't receive the mental health services that they need. And so, you know, we work with a lot of organizations that maybe they focus solely on the training aspect, but they're missing out on the, the actual direct service listening piece. But I know we've talked with our board pretty openly about this, is we never had a vision just to be like a mom and pop shop on the side of the road, uh, counseling service. Uh, there are a lot of those, and there's tremendous value in what they provide, um, especially here in the Western Hemisphere. You know, there, there's one on almost every street corner. Uh, but we always felt called and compelled to be a part of a larger movement than simply, uh, not to take anything away, but to be a part of like the equipping piece, which is why we do the training as well. That's so good. And yeah. I want us to spend some time about that equipping thing, because I sure. think that it, that seems like a distinction, right? And yeah. so it is, it is offering that one-on-one -on -one care and listening and love, but it's also teaching yes. me. Yeah. It's teaching others, it's teaching professionals and people who are just in a relationship with other people, how to listen better. So 
So you must hear all kinds of stories, <laughs> right? right? Of abuse, of trauma, of, of loneliness, of, of things that probably are significant and even some things that are, they're just everyday things, right? Exactly. Just every, so you hear that whole breath. And so tell me, in those moments, what do you begin to witness in, in other people who, who are being listened to, right? And so you, you have the privilege of being the listener. What's it like? And what kind of things do you see in their face, in their tone, as they hear, as they're listened to? Mm. Share that a little bit with, with us. There's one example fairly early on. And we got, we could have hundreds of examples. <laughs> yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs> but it's one that, that, um, that, that was very powerful early on. There was a 65-year-old woman who lived alone and um, had been married and divorced twice. The two children with whom there was she had a fractured relationship was then in another relationship of, you know, fairly recently, but that also had, had its own fractures. And um, she had a number of physical, you know, physical uh, maladies and, you know, t taking a lot of medication and, and also had a social phobia, was afraid uh, so often just go out of her house. And um, we, we met her at a presentation that we had, had given and she actually reached out, which was, was an act of great courage on her part yeah. to reach out to us following that and wanted to meet with us privately. And so we do everything together, everything two by two. That's one of our models. When uh -huh. we listen, every listener who works for someone to tell it to has to listen with someone wow. else for a variety of reasons. But so we went, we met her in her, in her home and we continued to meet with her. And she confessed to us that every night when she would go to bed, she would pray to God, even though she wasn't necessarily sure about God, but she would pray to God. Um, she was very turned off from the church um, that she wouldn't wake up. She prayed that every night, that she would just go to sleep forever. She on occasion confessed that she took more medication than was prescribed on occasion, maybe to help God along. That's right. After actually a couple of years of meeting with her and really liking her, very, you know, we really enjoyed our conversations. She told us one day um, that she stopped praying that. She stopped praying for her life to end. That she, because she was being heard, we hope, because we hope she, we were conveying that she was loved, that her life meant something. And so those are the kinds of things that we see and the things that may remind us that our work does matter. It takes a while, it takes a long time when there's a lifetime of not feeling worth worthy there's a lifetime of rejection and brokenness and pain it doesn't take just a few moments or a few hours or a few visits for that to go away generally and um, so we, we, we do see people change uh, in, in, in that way that's just one that's just one of the, I got so many examples you had used the word, I, I appreciated the word witness. And in a lot of ways, what we're doing is bearing witness to people's lives. 
when maybe they don't have anyone else to bear witness. I mean, for those of us who have a strong sense of community, we both belong to churches, we belong to men's groups, we have very supportive families. There are, there's a lot of folks that just don't. We call everybody someone. There are a lot of someones that don't have that. They don't have those social networks. And so they need someone to bear witness to their lives and their stories, their feelings, their thoughts. So you were right in saying that some things are of great, great significance and depth, like this woman's story, but then there's also simple things like somebody bearing witness to somebody's birthday, as an example. Uh, I remember one time we were speaking at a conference in Ireland, and we were actually practicing the art of listening. It was a conference about listening. And we went out on street corners and just started engaging with the world and, and literally held up signs that said free listening. <laughs> and, and people would come up to us and I remember here we are in a busy street corner in the middle of Dublin with the busiest city in Ireland and a man came up to me and he said he's admiring this building, this beautiful building right in front of us. And he, he you could just sense that there was some sorrow there. And I asked him simply, uh, um, you know, are you here alone? He said, no, I'm actually here with my wife. She's actually back at the, the hotel. She's dying of cancer. And so this is our last trip together. But she, did, she didn't have the energy to come out this afternoon. And she, she said, you know, we don't get to come here often. So you need to go out and just enjoy the afternoon. I'm just going to rest. And he said to me, I just need somebody. Will you just bear witness to this building in front of me? Will you just be here with me to, to just admire this beautiful structure? And, and so I think in some ways we all need someone to bear witness to, to our lives, our experiences, our feelings, our thoughts, our emotions, just the, the authentic stuff of who we are. Wow, and there's, there's a level of both stories. Um, there's a sense of people having these deep longings within their self they just want to communicate to someone and to feel validated and heard and loved and appreciated simply for just who they are. And we live in a society where like, we're only, we're only appreciated for what we, what we do or what we accomplish or who we know or how much money we have. Yes. And it's kind of flipping that to say that every, everyone has worth and is worthy of being listened to. And it takes courage for both of those stories, for someone to truly bear that to someone, right? That takes courage. And I wonder, um, like, what does it take for someone to really listen, or, or not to listen, to really share their story? What does it take for someone? Courage, but what else have you experienced? There's, a, there's an author that we quote all the time, Dr. Brene Brown. You're probably yeah, familiar with her work. She has written extensively, multi-bestselling author about the topic of vulnerability. We encourage everybody to go on to YouTube and watch her TED Talk, which is probably the most one of the most uh, listened to and watched TED Talks ever in TEDx's history. She talked about extensively about vulnerability and, and she defines vulnerability as showing up and letting ourselves be seen. And we, it does take tremendous amounts of courage to show up and let ourselves be seen. In fact, one of the things that we do every time somebody reaches out to us for the first time is we oftentimes in our initial response will say, we are so proud of you for reaching out. We can't imagine how much courage that took to do that. You know, we all, this is an age-old mantra that the first step is sometimes the hardest. And so it takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability on a person's part to just reach out, especially to strangers they don't know. 
But what we found historically is once they make that initial step, it is like a tremendous weight has been lifted off their shoulder. They literally have been unburdened. And um, again, if we can just remind people that uh, there is somebody who is proud of who they are. And, and, and you know, that's essentially what Michael and I did for each other when we started Someone to Tell to is to just remind each other that we're proud of you know, all of who we are, all of our vulnerabilities, our, all of our, we don't even like to use the word, ter the term weaknesses, but all of our brokenness and just the, all the things that make us human. Uh, we love that about each other and love that about our, our families. And just, I think we all need to be loved for all of who we are. And so if we can communicate that message, um, it gives people permission to be more human and authentic. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of our values, too, and I mentioned this very briefly, is that we don't judge. So no matter what someone's done, <laughs> what they've said, how they feel, we don't, we don't say, how can you think that? How can, why did you do that? Why, you know, what were you, you know, what were you thinking at all? We, we just, we do, those are like forbidden phrases. We again, even if we disagree, and even if we think that what someone has done is pretty, is wrong or immoral or, or unethical, we don't convey that because the second we do, they shut down. And they're not going to speak of it again. They're just going to, shame is a big topic that we, that we um, like to address. And we, we, we say that the, the moment someone feels ashamed, the doors close. And it doesn't take the sh it doesn't take often what they're doing or, or whatever away. They still do it. Right. It just it just goes underground, and and that's the worst place it can go. And and the people live with greater shame and greater humiliation and fear. And and we, we believe that if we can, if things can get out in the open, if the light can shine on all of our stuff, yeah. it it frees us. And it helps us to heal. It helps us to find, we hope, the better way that, that we all need to find. Um, so we consider it a sacred, sacred privilege to be able to hear these stories. I really do. I think that's such an important point. Uh, and I think a lot of it, it, it comes from our own theological perspectives. Yeah. Like, literally, like, how do we see other people? Do we see them as broken and flawed and we've even heard the word in religious circles, wretched human beings, that there were these sinful people. If we see people like that, we're always looking for what is wrong with others, as opposed to what is right and what is good and noble and valuable. If we would see people that way, it's amazing how much of a difference it'll, it'll make in the world. And I always appreciate even just like Genesis, like I, I highly dislike in religious circles where we always jump to Genesis 3, the fall, without talking about Genesis 1, just the blessing, and just exactly. the original blessing, the original, like each of us, when God created humanity, God called it very good, right? Yeah. That's the initial view that God you had You love to us. use the word beloved. Yeah, yeah, right? And so I think that's such a, such a mind shift change, even, even in the climate in which we live right now, when, when labels or things begin to define who we are, rather than just simply like being human or being a beloved child of God, 
this. Yeah, we um, one of the one another author whom we love to, to read, and in fact we read him every day. Uh, get devotions on uh, online is Richard Rohr, of course, who talks about that all the time. About and his critique of the church. Uh, for, and he's a very faithful, a very faithful Christian, but his critique of the church that, that there's been so much focus on again what's wrong with us, our sinfulness, our fallen nature, as opposed to what is beloved and what is good and what is right and that we we have downgraded that and that's why we believe that's one of the reasons why we're in the situation we're in as a culture in a society and a world today because because of the, that message that's negative uh, we, we, we're trying to convey a different a different sort of message to people and we want people to understand that I mean it's not that we all make unhealthy decisions at times, things that can harm ourselves or harm others. But another kind of buzzword that we just try to shy away from is the word convicting and, and try convicting other people of, of their fallenness. And, and it's just, again, if we're, we're, we're constantly looking for what's wrong with each other, um, how are we really seeing the world the way God sees the world because I don't know if God sees the world as such this this broken wretched place I mean it's all about his kingdom being built here That's in right. the now and uh, his kingdom's good That's right. and, and yeah I just think that's so and and even just like the, the Bernie Brown I just appreciate her language around like being in the arena uh, and so I even think like when we're in arenas with people, we begin to understand our own brokenness and our own selves as not all brokenness, but like as good. And so when we're in, when we're able to be vulnerable with our own stuff, we're able to embrace another some, in someone else, right? I, my wife and I, we talk about this a lot. Like when we're in the arena together, mm. I see her less when I'm frustrated with her. I see her less as this other person who's frustrating me. But like we're just in this together, seeing each other as beloved children of God. And just wanting to be in that together and to share openly and honestly. Um, and so I, I want, you named something really profound in, in, in one of the books that I was reading. Um, and you talk about um, kind of two examples in your life. And so you talked about in the eighth grade, uh, I assume it was when you were reading the diary of Anne Frank mm -hmm. and, in seminary mm -hmm. uh, with the counseling. Like, and and I, what, I, what struck me about that was so often I think in listening or in circles, we often think about how do I listen to respond and how do I listen to give advice or how do I listen to help you be better? And I found in those stories, and I'd love for you to share both of those stories if you're open to that, um, that, that listening is different. Um, and, and so how about you tell us each of those stories if you don't mind? Um, and, and then I think the power of listening just to, to let someone else be heard rather than to respond. Is that making sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, I actually forget what I wrote. Uh, okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, I remember the story and I'll, I'll, I'll share it and then please you add to it since you just read it. Sure. <laughs> if, if I'm not saying what you need me to say. No, no. <laughs> but, but I just remember in, I was, I'm an, I was always an avid reader. I mean, I just love books. I love the printed word and the spoken word. And, and so from, a, from the moment I, I think I, I could read, I was always, always, always reading. And I, I don't remember if there was an assignment or I was just reading it because I wanted to, but the diary of Anne Frank was something that I read. I also love history. So that was, that, that it caught my attention. 
And just the, the passion and the vulnerability with which this young girl, you know, I didn't, you know, I never knew anybody to kind of talk like that or write like that. And, 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 and the situation that she was in, obviously a, a fatal situation ultimately for her and her family, but that she would, that she would write so bravely and courageously about what she was going through, about the, the daily minutia of life in, in hiding, as well as the, the overwhelming, overwhelming fear of what was, what was out there and what could ultimately get her and her family, which, which it did. Um, and, and I remember one day one of my classmates, another guy, saw me reading the book and made fun of me because why are you reading that book? It's a, it's a book about a girl, you know, and, and something made me feel like I was not, that was unmasculine or un, uh, you know, there's something weak about me or something um, negative that, that wasn't cool. You know, at that age, you, you want to fit in and you want to, you want to be liked and you want to be like everybody else. And, and suddenly I was, I was labeled as, as being different. And, uh, and I, I wrote about that because it, it was, it was uh, you know, very, a very strong memory of feeling less than. And, um, and, and since then, I've always wanted people to know that, 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 that we, 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 shouldn't do, we, we, we shouldn't be doing that to one another um, because, uh, well, it's hurtful and, and, it, and it degrades and it makes, it makes one feel as if we are not good enough. And, um, so that, I don't know if that's No, what, that's, that's what so, you, like, because I think that, that's the difference of like listening, right? And so like the power of like, a comment like that deeply impacts you, right. then and, and still, it's part of your story, right? Right. And so just the power of words, and the power yes. of what we say, I think that's so, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and we, we make you. this point often in our speaking that sometimes the more hurtful examples from our lives are the ones that we learn from the most uh, of how not to react mm -hmm. and how, how not to respond. You had asked about this example from my own life and my own story. When I was in seminary, maybe halfway through, I was getting my master's in divinity to become a pastor. And again, I just wrestled with my sense of call, not sure what to do, but I knew I had this yearning to connect with people and th this real gift and this passion to connect with people. So maybe halfway through the MDiv, I, I I went into, I was, I was about to literally walk into the council to, to switch programs to become um, spiritual counseling. And I called a family member on the phone and that family member was not being a good listener and tends to be maybe a little bit more forthright in sharing, I won't say his or her <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, perspectives. And as a result, I didn't, I, I never walked through the doors and I went back uh, and continued my MDiv. And obviously I can look back on it now and it, again, God's fingerprints all over it. It makes perfect sense now, but at the time it was immensely painful. And how often have all of us either had experiences like that or maybe even done it to somebody else where we, we, we really have the potential to change the, the, talk about history, the course of history the history of somebody's life and their story and their their future if we don't listen well. And so in that, in that situation, it changed my future. I probably would have been more closely aligned with getting my counseling degree 
but because somebody else projected their own perspectives, it discouraged me from pursuing that sense of call, and as a result, it, it did change my, my history. Um, and so I think uh, when it comes to listening, we talk about often when it comes to our training program that one of the big modules is about not projecting, not trying to fix people's problems. We all can do that, where we, in some ways, you know, in religious circles, we almost play the role of God, trying to project upon somebody else what we think they should be doing or thinking. That's right. And what happens? The moment we do that, we, we shut down. And, and we think oftentimes the answers that we're all seeking are, are within us. And our, our job as listeners is to be almost permission givers, giving people permission to pursue the things we would say that God lays on their hearts. We don't need to solve their problems or fix people's problems or tell them what to do. The answers are within us. We just need the permission to explore and discern. And, and, and that doesn't mean that we don't provide wisdom at times because sometimes we, some, some good, honest wisdom is, is helpful. But it's a part of the discernment process. It's not projecting. There's a difference there. So tell, like, I love that part of your work is also training. And so yeah. how can someone, if someone is listening today and they're like, I want to I be more compassionate listener, or I want to be a chief encouragement person. And, and like, tell me, like, what, what what does that mean, and, and what are some what are some helpful, practical things that we can do in our own lives to be a more a more compassionate listener? Well, we have a a ten tips uh, handout that we give to a lot of individuals and organizations that we found to be helpful. In fact. We do think you use the word expert. We don't consider ourselves experts because once you put that label on That's yourself, right. then there's a lot of pressure to be an expert. That's there's, right. a of, there's a lot of judgment there. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what expectation. But we have learned a lot in, yeah. in, in our nine years. In fact, there's probably been, I think, maybe 1,200 or, or 12,000 or 13,000 listening interactions in, the, in these years from people around the world. Uh, but when it comes to our training resource, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we've learned that we try to just impart upon other, other people uh, that might be helpful. And, and I know we'll just give you a couple out of the 10 tips that, that we found to be helpful. Is one comes from uh, another author and theologian that we, we value so much is the late Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, we've immerse ourselves in his writing and his messages to children. For us, it's primarily messages, the same messages, except it's messages to adults about being valued and finding their worth and significance. Anyways, Mr. Rogers, um, a couple things he would often say is, one, you can't help but love someone once you know their story. And so we, we love to use that message because when you truly take the time to get to know somebody, you can understand, it doesn't mean you always agree, but you can understand why they've made the decisions that they've made. So when it comes from to like political matters, as an example, you could be one party or the other, and if you truly get to know somebody's story, I mean, I, I've, uh, leading up to the election this year, I, I spent a good t bit of time listening to the New York Times Daily podcast, mm -hmm. and I really loved that, like maybe a week or two before the election, they spent time interviewing people on both sides and, and really listening to their stories. And so you have somebody on the right, right side who is from like a, the coal region in Pennsylvania, and they're fearful of their losing their jobs. 
And so it was all about jobs for them. And so they voted one way because they were fearful of their jobs. And when you listen to that, you understand it. Uh, and so, you know, that's one of Fred Rogers' messages that we, we love to, 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 um, to really build upon. The other thing that, that we often love to, to, um, to quote him about is he would always say that who, the person in front of him is the most important person in his life at that moment. And so if we treated everybody, like right now, you're the most important person in our life uh, at this moment. If we treated every person that way, uh, that somebody has something value to say and something valuable to offer, it changes everything. Uh, so we've interacted with Fortune 500 CEOs at the top. We've interviewed and spent time with people on the margins. And, and a lot of the, the issues are the same, the fears, the doubts, the brokenness. It's the same. It doesn't matter where you find yourself and what your sphere of influence is. Uh, you know, we're all we're all just trying to, to do our best. We all want to be loved. Yeah. Simply want to be loved, and um, that's ultimately what we're trying to help people know that they are loved. Yeah. So, so even just part of listening is is an exercise of love. Absolutely, it's a willingness to slow down enough. Yeah. And to be present enough, exactly, just to be, yeah, exactly, and to listen and, and probably be slow to speak, as yeah. James would say, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and quick to respond and or, or quick to listen and slow to speak, right? And, and um, yeah, there's yeah. A, a famous yeah. um, philosopher named David Osberger mm -hmm. who wrote about listening, and he said that listening is so close to being loved that sometimes people don't know the difference. Wow, and. Uh, you know, when it comes to, we know that your podcast and your message here at, at The Journey is all about social justice and equality and things that we care very deeply about. We think it just all starts with listening. And, um, you know, one of the problems in our society here in the United States is we have not done a good job of listening to people's authentic stories, the honest, we would say, to God truth, the whole truth. And therefore, people, um, you know, have been marginalized because their stories have, they've been bearing untold stories. And so uh, we need to, we have a lot of work to do in our society of really, I mean, Michael and I have been, as I'm sure you are, and a lot of churches, a lot of people in our world are really trying to immerse themselves in those stories and, and trying to learn more. We, we live in a world that's very uneducated. and. Gosh, if, if we would spend more time educating ourselves about the, the people's authentic stories, you can't help but have more compassion and empathy for, for folks and, and wanting to change things right, when there's been tremendous amounts of injustice. And I appreciate how you're framing that. So I think so often we talk about issues and, and it feels a little bit big and macro and distant. Uh, but often, any topic is not about an issue, it's about people. Yeah. It's about people's lives, it's about people's stories. Exactly. And so often we just argue about issues rather than just allowing stories yeah. to impact how I think, how I vote, how I act, and kind of leading out of that. Right? Mm. And in some ways, but I wonder how, if you ever get pushback, because in some ways it feels so, um, it's, it's subjective, right? And, and, and it's, no, it's not based upon facts, right? And we have this, I think, facts around issues, around social justice issues. And um, so help me, I would love to hear, even when you think about social justice in particular, or 
Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ inclusion uh, in all facets of, of our society and nation. How does, how does compassionate listening kind of lead us toward even a life of, of maybe inclusion um, or into a life of empathy around uh, these particular hot topic issues? And you, got, you talked in a little bit, Tom, but I would love to hear a little, a little bit more. Yeah, we've gotten some pushback on, a, on occasion, <laughs> not, not a lot, yeah. but we, we certainly have. I remember early on uh, someone asking us, so you will listen to anyone? Mm -hmm. Not sure what was behind that. We could kind of maybe guess, maybe some 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 groups of people or issues that uh, this person didn't think we ought to be that, that you know that we shouldn't be listening to those people. We're not sure exactly you know who the person was talking about, what kind of people, but there are those who are surprised that we will engage with so many kinds of people that that are often seen as unworthy, but we will, because we believe that's what we're called to do. That's exactly what Jesus did. Uh, you know, so many of his examples were people who were marginalized in his time and, and pushed aside and not heard, not valued. And, and so we realized that, that what we are called to do as Christians is to, is to meet those people where they are, no matter who, no matter what. So there's been that kind of pushback. There's also been the pushback that we've gotten from uh, some, some church people that, because we're not trying to save them or convert them or convict them or whatever, you know, what's your end game? Uh, you know, you, you gotta get to a point where they're gonna accept Jesus or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, our, you know, we're, that's not what we're about. Our, our about, our, as, as Christians, our, our, what we are about is showing Jesus by the way we live and by the way we interact with one another. We don't think that the telling changes many people or moves people that much in, that, in telling them what to do, but showing them what to do. And, sh and also sharing stories of, of, of our own lives and other lives of, of people who, who we believe or hope have been changed by, by the modeling of listening and compassion and empathy. Um, and we've also gotten pushback in some ways from traditional counselors who are trained to do things in a certain way. And we don't always do, I mean, we were trained in counseling too, all of, all of us, the three of us were when we were in seminary. But, but what we do is, is somewhat different and we think less one-sided and more two-way, and and that sometimes gets is not always appreciated by some tra very traditionalists. That's awesome. So that's that's I think helpful and in, in, in the distinction of who you want to be, mm -hmm. um, that you're not seeking to be a traditional counselor, you're not seeking to be a traditional church where you're trying to evangelize and save people. But you're actually, in some sense, doing the truest work that all of us are called, just to really humanize and express a belovedness to people. Early on, someone told us, you guys are so first century. <laughs> Did they say that? Yeah, that, meaning that actually doing what the church was That's right. supposed to be doing or, or started out to do, right. you know, long, long ago, and that, that we were trying to get, in many ways, get back to that. 
but it leads to, I think, even language that you use is just like, get to a point where you can say, your pain is my pain, your suffering is my suffering, your sorrow is my sorrow, your joy is my joy, your passion is my passion, your delight is my delight. And I just appreciated that, just like yeah. listening and knowing someone deep enough where that's the kind of relationship and the kind of bond that you would have with someone else. Well, you know, I've actually said this to Tom, I think just last week, we were having a really deep conversation and um, one of the things I said that I, I never feel closer, just using this, our personal story as an example, yeah. I never feel closer to him than when he is most vulnerable, mm. when he is, is, is most open and raw and um, uh, sharing something that might be, might be really difficult or painful. Um, and sometimes those things are difficult and painful to hear just because, because of the nature of, but there, there isn't, that is what enhances, breeds, brings about connection. And connection is really how we as, as people can, again, I use this word again, begin to heal. Yeah. I'm thinking of, uh, I think Nelson Mandela used to talk about our human compassion binds us together. Yeah. And he would say, not pittingly or patronizingly, but looking at people as sharing a very sh a common human journey. I think we all just need to know that we're normal, that we're common. Uh, that, that, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, in saying that, you know, back to your social justice uh, question, you know, we are white and we need to spend as much time as possible uh, com coming back to educate education and you know really spending time with people whose stories are very different than our own because the more educated we become the more we see first off that it's a real problem that maybe it has been swept under the carpet but secondly trying to find a way forward um, you know, not to be stuck in what has been, but really try to find the answers that we need. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, when it comes to like questioning, sometimes the best thing we can do is just ask deep questions among good company and, and trying to discern what, what is a better way forward? How do we find the answers that, that we all need at this point? Um, you know, we, we would love to see even more of that politics right now or or religious circles or you know that's where listening is necessary in every sector of society a word that i've been struck by in my own kind of spiritual journey this year and like all that all that this year has brought in so yeah. many different levels is the word empathy yeah. um and um, having just a chance a couple of months ago just to preach to all of my colleagues um, in our clergy session and just um an annual conference and i just felt like just the word of empathy of just like how do we just listen long enough to know someone else's story, right? And, yeah. and it's not always about issues. It's not always about even always the policies in which we're voting for, but it's around how can we just like, just really know and care and uh, the compassion. So let me ask a couple of final questions. Um, if someone's listening right now um, and they like are longing to be heard, hmm. what would you want to speak? What would you want to say to them? Um, if they're longing to be listened to. That you deserve to be heard. Mm. That you have every right to be heard. That it's important that you're heard. That it is, it is essential that you can 
that there's some, at least someone in your life who will listen to you and value you and affirm you and say they're proud of you no matter what. Um, that's what we all need. We need people to tell us that we are loved. We need people to say that, that, we, that we do matter. We need people who will show us that no matter what we say, what we do, there is, there is a, a love, an unconditional love for us. And that's what we believe changes the world, you know, when, when we can know that. So that's one thing. <laughs> Tom, would you say anything else? Well, I, I had referenced Nelson Mandela uh, again a few moments ago about our human compassion binds us together. And, and we talk extensively about this in our second book, but the word compassion, we throw it around in a lot of different circles. But when you get to the root word, I mean, in the Gospels, Jesus says, be compassionate as your heavenly Father is compassionate. And, and in a lot of ways, um, it, it, it means to suffer with, to in the beginning of John's gospel, he, I love in the message translation, it says move into, Jesus took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood That's of people's right. lives. And what does it look like to move into the neighborhood of, of each other's lives? That, that means that sometimes it's not always going to be pretty. There's going to be some messiness and some things that you may hear that uh, make you uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And again, coming back to people's stories, if if that's their story and it's authentic, they need to tell it. And, and it's not our job to tell them whether or not their story is correct or not. It's their story. So we just need to listen and, and hear it. And, and that's their truth. If someone wants to get involved with someone to tell them to, uh, what is the best way or, or what are specific needs or what are some specific on-ramps for people to be engaged in this work um, if they're, if they're feeling passionate or called or convicted, which we don't use that word. I just appreciate, I, <laughs> yeah. as I was saying, I was like, ah, I appreciate yeah. just your teaching of yeah. me today, Tom, so I appreciate that. Uh, but if they feel inspired today to, to be word. engaged, uh, what, what, would, what would you invite them to do or be involved in? Well, there's several ways. We, we have a podcast of our own called the Someone to Tell To Podcast. They can get on there and listen. Uh, we interview people from around the world who talk extensively about listen, listening and empathy and compassion. We have a training resource that's available uh, for groups and organizations, for churches, uh, where we love to get in and we use this word equip folks to be better listeners in their everyday lives. Whether or not you want to do it as a professional sense of call or not, we all need to, to grow in this area. So we have a training resource that's available through our website. Um, there's information there. Uh, one of your uh, parishioners That's is right. an active uh, tra trainer on our team, and, and she loves to be able to, to, to work with various groups and individuals, and so uh, that's probably one of the primary ways, but if you need to be heard, reach out to us, someone2tell2.org. We have a team of people that have been, quote-unquote, someone2tell2 certified at this point. They've mm -hmm. gone through the whole training program, and we're, we're here for you. We want you to know that you're not alone and that your stories matter. And no matter where you are in the world, yeah. You are here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where we are right now, or anywhere else in the world, you can still reach out to us online and we will get back with you and we can, you can be heard, no matter where. That's awesome. Final question.
and ask every single person who sees them this question. Awesome. It's a pretty existential question. If someone isn't going to be engaged in, in your work, they listen and like, that's great, I'm not interested. Um, or if someone uh, it just doesn't know what they think about this whole listening empathy thing. Um, so on a bigger level, what's one mind shift change or one thing you wish that we all would learn, maybe as a society, as a people, in light of what we've experienced in 2020 and 2021, What's one thing that you just, your, your deepest prayer and hope for humanity? I think it's going to repeat something I think I said it's earlier. Okay, yeah. um, and it's the, it is the first step in, when people ask us, tell me what I need to do. What are the three things or whatever I need to do to, to listen better? And we always get frustrated with that question because it's not a thing that you do. It's what you believe. And what, what the mind shifts that we really wish that we want to convey again is that, that all of us believe that everyone else deserves to be heard. And everyone has a story and everyone's story needs to be told. And if, if we entered every relationship and every encounter we have with someone with, with that sort of respect about each other's humanity and that, and that um, understanding, that we just, it begins there. Mm -hmm. it, it simply begins there because if, if we don't believe that, we're really not ever gonna listen. If we don't, you know, if I don't think you're, you have anything worthy of being said, I'm, I'm, I might pay lip service, but I'm not gonna really listen to you. And, uh, and you will know that. You will, you will feel it, uh, probably, that, that you're not being heard. So, and that doesn't help anything. So that would, be, that would be what I would say. I'm gonna give everybody an exercise. I encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a very well-known passage of scripture that we all have heard recited multiple times over. Uh, we still, as pastors, do a lot of weddings and funerals and Go to that passage and replace the word love with listening. Listening is patient. Listening is kind. Listening does not envy or boast. It is not easily angered. That's a mindset change. Listening never ends. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Well, Tom and Michael, thank you for being a, being a part of this conversation today thank and you. for um, helping me and helping whoever will, whoever will listen to this. Um, be more compassionate in their life and to be to be better listeners to one another. So well, thank, thank you. Thank you for Pleasure. inviting us. And I think it's our impression that you don't, you probably didn't learn a lot from us. You've already known a lot uh, just from the questions you asked and the way you're approaching this. It it it'll, it shows us already that you get it and you understand. So um, we we always appreciate that. Thank you so much for that affirmation. Mm -hmm.